This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the stockout. As that last box uh, falls into nowhere off the conveyor belt, um, I'm Mike Bowdenbistle, I'm head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freight Waves. This is the show at Freight Waves where we set aside 25 minutes to talk about uh, what's happening in the CPG space and CPG supply chains. Today, I'm going to go through uh, just some read-throughs from Walmart's uh, earnings report uh, last week. They're important to uh, a bit important. They're about 20% of most CPG companies' uh, sales, uh, based on what I'm seeing in the SEC filings. And then also talk to Dave. Kiesling, he's a VP of transportation at Kenco Logistics in Chattanooga, uh, Tennessee. Um, uh, we'll see what ha- what's happening in the fields from from Dave's perspective. Um, before I do that, I just want to make sure everyone has an opportunity, if they haven't signed up for it already, to um, subscribe to the CPG newsletter, uh, the Stockout. Uh, so if you are interested in all and in what's happening with the CPG, yes, good sources of news for you. Um, try to provide just sort of what's interesting. In the world of, C- of CPG uh, and, and transportation and their supply chains, you just go to freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout, or you can just go to freightwaves.com, go up to newsletters and uh, click on the stockout. So, I invite you to do that and also invite you to join us at our conference on June 21st and 22nd in Cleveland at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Should be a good time. Uh, there's a shippers only roundtable that might appeal to. Uh, various um, companies in the the CPG space. Uh, so it gives you an opportunity to compare notes with other major shippers, including some of the other uh, CPGs, uh, some of the consumer packaged goods that are going to be on stage, um, you know, presenting in um, fireside chat formats include Nestle, Coca-Cola, and L'Oreal. So I'll be there and hopefully, um, you know, you, uh, people from the stock out uh, can, can join me, give me some uh, feedback on what topics you'd like to, to cover, or um, maybe even find some uh, guests for future uh, episodes. Um, you know, with that, uh, I'd like to go into the first topic today, which is um, just do. I'll just do one news story uh, before getting into the guest discussion. But uh, really, it's, it's Walmart um, had earnings last week. They sort of comments suggest that uh, there's going to be additional pressure. I think um, I think more pressure than we've seen in in, in recent. Um, you know, months on the suppliers' prices, and, and this was a, a statement from CEO of, of Walmart. I picked this out of the the earnings transcript. Went through that over the weekend. He says, "You know, we do need some of these branded suppliers that are in the dry grocery and consumables, so those CPG companies, to get more top line focused than they have been in a while." It's a generalization. Not everybody in the space, but we're we're looking for those to be more aggressive. Um, we've talked in the past about how the CPG companies really have focused on improving their margins and restoring their margins to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, the, the pandemic um, really caused a lot of costs to creep in for things like uh, additional supply chain costs, uh, contract manufacturing, because there's a surge in demand, a lot of other um, you know types of uh, you know, components of, of their cost of goods structure. So most of the CPG companies had a margin contraction of, of several hundred basis points. They're trying to get that uh, back now. 
And some of the CPG companies say there's still some catching up to do. It seems like some of the retailers, um, you know, disagree with that or pushing back more. And I think Walmart is going to be at the, the forefront of, of pushing back on, on, on any additional uh, price increases. I think they have a good uh, handle on, um, you know, what's happening in the transportation logistics space. They realize that those costs have, have come down, uh, less, um, you know, costs related to supply chain, uh, you know, rework. So, um, and, and with Walmart is particularly motivated to, rein in CPG uh, price increases because, um, you know, so many other consumers, it just takes away from spending that they're able to do on other parts of the store, which the retailer has a higher margin on the things like CPG food um, consumables. Those are lower margin uh, for the company. Uh, another thing that I took away from the, the analyst call last week uh, for Walmart is that they're really leaning into the the convenience aspect. So they talk about e-commerce, I mean, about 14% of their sales. They're making a big push with Walmart Plus, which seems to compete pretty head-to-head with Amazon Prime, maybe with the difference that it's more focused on everyday items, grocery and, and consumables. And they're making a big push into having the perfect order. So the um, customer puts in what they want and gets exactly what they want, no substitutions. I think that in turn is going to cause potentially um, Walmart to put more pressure on the CPG for on delivering on time and in full because that's really required in order to have those type of um, perfect uh, orders. Um, it has been interesting when you compare Walmart to some of the other uh, you know, retailers have a stock chart comparing Walmart to Target. Uh, Walmart's in the, in the black line there and Target is in the, is in the blue line. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You go back five years and throughout most of that time, uh, those stocks have pretty much traded um, similarly, sort of in response to consumer uh, patterns uh, up until, let's say, uh, middle of last year, where the stock price of both of them, you see sort of in the in the right part of that chart, they both fell in response to concerns about inventory being way too high. And Walmart's recovered a lot better than Target has in the past 12 months. Target is up, or Walmart's up 21%, Target's down uh, 2%. It does seem like Walmart's gaining share in grocery among higher income consumers. I did see an analyst report that said Walmart, you know, it was, yeah, yeah, sort of at, took surveys of, of who was Walmart picking those customers up from, and and Target was where they were getting a lot of the, the those customers up from, picking those customers up from, and about fifty three percent cited um, uh, price as being sort of the, the primary you know reason for that out of about ten different um, different reasons. So I think CPG companies, um, it, Walmart's going to be even a bigger you know, customer for, for, for them, maybe target a little bit of a smaller uh, customer for them. An interesting stat here on uh, comp uh, sales and comparable sales. Walmart was up 7.4% in the first quarter, target uh, flat in the first quarter. So a big difference there. And then even a bigger difference on e-commerce. Walmart's e-commerce was up uh, 27% in the US. Target was down 3.4% in the retail first quarter. So that's February through through April. So um so some interesting takeaways there, I think, for the CPG companies when you talk, um, you know, about what's happening in the retail uh, space that they that they sell into. So with that as one uh, sort of news story, we'd like to bring on today's guest. Um, today's guest is Dave Kiesling. He's a VP of Transportation at Kenco Logistics, Chattanooga-based third-party logistics company. Dave has 30 years of experience managing international and domestic supply chains. Dave, thank you for joining me on the Stockout. Hey, good afternoon, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't we get started just for anyone not familiar with Kenco? Why don't you give us the rundown of the services that you offer? Sure. Um, so, you know, we've been around for 70 years, based here in Chattanooga. Uh, started out really on the 
you know, four wall warehousing distribution side of transfer of logistics management and supply chain. Um, and over the last 10 years or so, you know, we've really focused to expand beyond just uh, distribution services or traditional warehousing services, added transportation management, have a, a fleet uh, service offering. Really, it's uh, around Final Mile and White Glove activity. Um, and then we also uh, have a material handling group. So we can have a turnkey solution that includes, uh, you know, operating the four walls, providing the equipment inside the four walls, as well as doing transportation management. And about, uh, about five months ago, we were acquired by Pritzker Private Capital and we've become one of their uh, family of companies. Yeah, congratulations on that, that, that deal. I mean, it seems like that provides really a lot of stability um, to have that as, 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 as the owner. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about um, sort of what you're seeing in the marketplace in terms of you know shippers looking to build resilience into their supply chain. It seems like that's a big theme right now. Um, how have you seen shippers go about doing that? Yeah, so... Uh, and I just had a little bit of trouble here. You know, re resilience in the supply chain. Was that the questions? Yeah. So, so shippers, I'll, I'll take you talk a little bit louder. I mean, it, this, the shippers seem to be trying to build resilience into their supply chain. So they don't have the types of, um, supply chain issues that a lot of them had during the, during the pandemic. Um, have you seen that? And can you give some, some examples maybe? Yeah. I, I think your lead in around inventory is part of it, right? Um, I think what we saw, you know, during and certainly post the pandemic, uh, specifically around OTEF, right on time and in full, uh, you had inventory wherever it was <laughs> in North America, whenever it was landing, uh, tried to, uh, you know, get on the store shelves, right? Whether that was a consumer, uh, consumable good, whether that was a durable good. Um, and I think what a lot of organizations began to realize was that, you know, they had some breakpoints that were there, right? Whether that be a single source for the fort and where they were bringing product in, whether it was a manufacturing location had a tough time getting inbound raw materials or supplies there, whether there was a labor shortage, whether that be, you know, their own labor shortage or one of their capacity providers, you know, either in the truck loan, the LTL, or, you know, even in the parcel environment. So it's caused, I think, all of us to take a look and, and say, how do we get as close to the end consumer as we can get? Um, how do we have as much flexibility as we uh, need to have? Um, and, you know, how do we make sure that, to your point, the consumer, they tolerated it. But when I order my basket, I want my basket, right? And I don't want a substitution as I move forward. And and I want what I want when I want it. Um, and I think those are the so those are the challenges. Um, and, and then I think what we're seeing is, you know, some of our customers are saying, hey, I'm used to have a, a two distribution node model. Now I want a four distribution node model because I want to be within a day of 96% of my customers, as an example, right? Or I want my top 100 items to be available within 24 hours to, to any of my ultimate customers. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, on, on that topic, the last point you brought up on um, adding distribution centers, um, you know, on your website, you have a link to a press release from Mondelez. Yeah, they added a regional distribution center in Virginia. Was that part of that strategy too? Or can you talk a little bit about um, that part? I think, yeah, whether it's that specific example or others like it, I think there's a couple components. Um, and one being, Many of our CPG customers know what they're good at. They're good at marketing their product, right? And in most cases, they're good at manufacturing either directly or through contract manufacturing that product. What they're, you know, 
wanting others to do, right, is get them again as close to the consumer as possible. So the postponement of that final packaging uh, takes place as close to where it's going to be consumed. And then I think most people are really beginning to understand that, you know, ESG has is, is taken on, I think, a full new uh, in, importance. Um, I think it was talked about a lot, but now you're really seeing, especially multinational, you know, global organizations say, hey, I want to reduce my carbon footprint by 25% or by 50%, or I want to be net carbon neutral by either 2025 or 2035. So getting closer to the consumer uh, and traveling less miles obviously helps that. Uh, but I also think focusing on what uh, you do best or what our customers do best, allowing us to, to assist or, you know, competitors of us, right? Now, we're not the ones out here who do this, but allowing us to focus on bringing the right material handling solutions in place, bringing the right technology and, and, and the right people solutions or automation with that, you know, that technology, uh, to, to, uh, be able to provide that in the, that ultimate metric, right. Of on time. Yeah. That's a great point that the CPG companies, I mean, they're, they're, what they're really good at is creating a product, marketing that product, carving out a space in the, in the marketplace, dealing with the retailers, maybe doing something direct to consumer or whatever, but, um, the transportation is really not their area of expertise. Um, I mean, another topic that's, um, you know, really sort of topical, I think is, uh, the transportation markets are loose right now. Great time to be a shipper. Um, but how would you advise a shipper to position themselves for when transportation markets eventually go the other way? And they will at, at, at some point. Right. I'm going to look over at today's uh, market watch, right? They came over and but since say the contract rate now is dipped below 2021 levels. Um, and then if you look at the spot market, I think well, today was like 219. Uh, and, you know, I think capacity is, um, is loose, right? Um, they can accept the choir, the, the rejection rate, I think is 3%. Uh, and, and so I think what you're seeing now, again, is what I mentioned earlier is this kind of reset of where we track average like the all is one of the key metrics that we identify how tight or how loose capacity is or how hard is it going to be to find the truck based on where the overall average like the haul is out of some of our major shipping markets. And we're seeing that, you know, be below 500 miles for the first time um, in over three years. So people aren't chasing a volume um, or people are, organizations aren't, moving inventory around because that's where they have been. Or I think you're seeing an inventory level stabilize. There was a report out today, in fact, uh, from the St. Louis Fed, but you know, inventory's actually grew a little bit for the first time in, in several months. So I think that stabilization of inventory is allowing most transportation providers to have a, a network that now is beginning to, to operate with some level of efficiency versus, Hey, I'm going to chase these dollars because they're really great, but I'm going to have half of my fleet out of, you know, out of network and then have to figure out how to get them back into to my network. So, th so that's interesting. So, so you, you view a, a shorter length of haul as being maybe a first sign that things are, are tightening up a little bit because the carriers are getting a little bit more selective. Like, yeah, right. you know, if you look at, um, the direct labor cost 10 years ago versus direct labor costs today for a truckload provider or an LTL provider, 
Um, there's about a 42% increase in direct labor. And 10 years ago, uh, fuel was about $4 a gallon and looks like we're going to be headed in June for about $4 a gallon for diesel. So fuel, the second largest component of the current cost 10 years later is, is relatively the same. And it's actually less than 8% of, of the increase. Um, so when you think about what's the most uh, important resource for a trucking company, and again, regardless of what mode that is, it's labor. And, um, and I, we're not going to automate labor anytime soon in, in the transportation side of it, where we're in some huge advantages, you know, in our distribution and warehouse operations on, on in some labor. We're just not going to see that in the short term. So um, the more you can be efficient with uh, the labor that you have and the more that you can keep that labor happy, meeting their home war nights, right, and not sleeping on the side of the road or in a truck stop. I mean, that's the, that's going to be the key for, I think, keeping those, those carriers or those drivers happy, which keeps capacity, um, relatively abundant. And then that will, in fact, it'll keep rate where, where it's trajectory is headed today. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you do a lot with, uh, you know, warehousing, uh, what are you seeing in the warehousing, you know, market now? I know it was tight for a long period of time as, as, as that loosened up with um, added capacity. Yeah, a little bit. I think, you know, you read some of the stories about, oh, well, this building has been built and it's going to be vacant from, you know, some large retailers that are out there. Right. Um, but, but I think overall those retailers and even Amazon, right. They only represent a small percentage of the whole warehouse space, uh, with it's, it's in the marketplace. And if you look long, um, you'll see that new starts for, um, and, and new permits for warehousing, uh, are continuing to happen. Um, I think you're seeing more of campus, right. And so they're not being developed inside the, you know, the loop, right. Or inside that metropolitan area of major areas like Atlanta, Dallas, and uh, we're going out a little further, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles out from those major metros, um, in terms of the, you know, type of activity with Edmonds Um, but I think, you know, it, what we saw was, hey, all this pent up inventory came in. Uh, it needed to be moved in length. It got moved in length. It's now finally uh, working its way through uh, and out uh, into its distribution channels. People actually, in some pieces, consume that. Um, probably a little bit bad in terms of short term economy for revolving debt, but um, at least I think that the space that we're using, uh, we're seeing an increase in the efficiency of that space. And that's one of our major, major, um, measurements, right? We're, we're not in the business to just provide warehouse space. We're in the, you know, the, the, the business to run those warehouses effectively and efficiently and drive throughput through roads. And to what extent are you seeing those, um, warehouses becoming automated? So, you know, automation has been big and that's kind of one of the reasons why I came to the Kenko when I uh, was looking, I was like, wow, we're. Kenko has all the bells and whistles, the tools, the automation, the robots, the fear, all the big guys have. So I uh, was very excited to see that. And, and, and I think it's, you know, those things that are repetitive, right? Those things that are improved the quality of our warehouse uh, associates uh, life, right? In terms of less, you know, back strains, strenuous exercises. Um, we're using those anywhere that we can. Um, and we're also using those, you know, um, like you said at the beginning, right? Three years ago, we pushed a cart down the warehouse, so we picked subject to the cart. And when we got done, you dropped the packs, then we scored the next one. Anywhere where we can bring the, the vehicle that can transport the item and allow 
a picker to do the value out of verifying you sliding or you know uh, putting a price tag on it right then and there as you're picking and then the takeaway is done by automated vehicle or something to, to get it you know onto its next uh, step those are things where we see a lot of not in terms of labor savings in terms of throughput uh, capability you know we can run some of these facilities some days a week 24 hours a day where you know in the past you just couldn't do that from a, a non-anonymous tournament yeah, it seems huge for pro- for productivity for sure. Um, I also want to ask you while well, I had you um, any thoughts on, let's say, small package e-commerce. I know you, you seem like you post a lot on LinkedIn about LTL. You have some thoughts on an LTL uh, service. Um, so want to get that out of, out of you. Um, feel free to use whatever language you, you want. Um, I'm, I'm sure production. Will be sure. Yeah, I, you know, I, back to OTIF, and, and I think back to. You know, where we've come from in the last couple of years, specifically around LTL first, and then it's like parcel A. You know, many of the LTL carriers six months ago had embargoes going to many of the retailers, specific distribution centers that were packed out, right? And and I think, you know, it wasn't just the LTL provider, but it also wasn't just the retailer that had some of these challenges. And, you know, our on time percentage to publish transit is pretty poor in, in, in LTL. Uh, now it doesn't mean it's not on time to OTIP or, or it's not on time to the appointment night. Um, but what we've seen on the fulfillment side, right, is valid inquiries are right size. Now that especially CPG companies are focused on is kind of open, right? Hey, let's increase your know, margin. Let's take cost out of the supply chain that we added in during the pandemic. Um, it's really important to deliver the time. And when one of our manufacturers, distributor, you know, goes into retail and they've done everything right. They got the inventory plan right. They got the raw materials there on time. They ran the production run the right time. They got the inventory pick pack chip ready to go, whether that's us, whether that's a competitor of ours, or whether that's the manufacturer themselves. And the next thing you know, that the carrier doesn't perform all that work upstream still is no tip. And, you know, we're really focused on making sure that Transportation isn't the reason for an OTIP from our customers. So that's the LTL, you know, service bulletin, if you will. Um, in terms of parcel, I think we've got a pending, you know, labor uh, situation that's out there that's it's going to be interesting. Um, but for us, we're multimodal. We're using all of the big guys. We're using the USPS. You know, fulfillment comes in different ways for different people. Do you want your dog food within 24 hours or do you want your dog food this week? And so we're making sure that, you know, we're using the appropriate level of service to meet commerce needs that we have. And we're continuing to see very strong growth there, but it's not the double digit growth that we, you know, saw in, in 1920 and certainly in 21, right? So it, it's, it's still a, we think it's, you know, we have to be in this business in the future and not just be in it. Um, to service some of our large customers, but we've got the two multi-client facilities across four campuses, meaning four different buildings in those geographic areas where we're pretty heavy on the commerce ceiling, 24 hours a day, really seven days a week. Yeah, it's impressive that you haven't seen, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, I haven't seen e-commerce pull back very much. Um, you know, I do have sort of heard mixed things on the e-commerce where some companies are saying, well, yeah, consumers are really cutting back on like subscription services, like subscription boxes and some discretionary things that tend to become e-commerce. 
you're seeing just growth. You're just seeing it at a, at a kind of slower rate. Right. Where it was double digit before it's, you know, high single digits now. And I think the, some of our customers are being very, I don't know if they're being opportunistic or they're being, uh, they're really selective, but they're increasing what's available, uh, to supply to their customer base. So they've made that connection. They performed well in the past and now they may be launching an additional line, um, where they may be combining uh, their product with someone else's product that are complementary and don't, you know, don't cannibalize each other. And, and then asking us, Hey, can you fill together and bring those together and, and make one shipment out to the customer. So those are, those are some unique things that are, that we're seeing happening with our customers. That's, that's great. It's good to see that continuing, um, particularly for those that are involved in, in, in e-commerce and last mile. I uh, just have a little bit of time left, but uh, just real quickly, I know you're a Sonar user. What's your favorite Sonar ticker? What's the first one you look at every day? So one, let's, let's click on my Sonar ticker right now and see what we got. Um, I would say my number one is the, you know, tender accept rate, right? Or we'll accept the climb rate and feeling. What is your positive or negative person? And you know, I find it fascinating. Two years ago, as of today, it was 28, right? So out of 100 loads that were being tendered, 28 were being rejected. And today, you know, it's out of 100 that are being tendered, only two are being rejected. Uh, I think the volume of imports is another one we track. We'll track that every day, but once a week we go over it as a team and we say, hey, how is this going to affect LA? How's it affecting Savannah? Um, I love the tender and volume together. And that's, a that's that map that is color coded. So you can color code the size, uh, you can color code one or the other and, you know, size can either be, uh, what the volume is or under the color can be tender, except that's how I do it. Uh, cause I want to see in our major markets, uh, you know, we're at 36 million square feet warehouse space around North America, right? In our major markets, what's happening in those markets on, on the local level. Fantastic. Appreciate that description. It's great to hear how people, um, you know, use it in, in the field. Um, where can people, uh, reach out to you and, uh, learn more about Kenko? So definitely can, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also reach me, uh, my email address, which is dave.keasley at kenko.com. Our marketing group is, it's also available from our main webpage. And, and, uh, I really, again, appreciate you, uh, giving me the opportunity, Michael, and I'm very much looking forward to, uh, seen everyone in Cleveland in my home uh, hosting. And I can tell you that uh, your guest from L'Oreal will be uh, entertaining as uh, he's a former colleague of mine. Fantastic. See you in Cleveland. Hope everyone has a great day. All right. Thank you.